1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the final quarter of a tumultuous year for stocks. Where will your money work best in these months ahead? We reveal some exclusive CNBC data as well, debate the markets with our investment committee. And joining me today for the hour are Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, John Nigerian and Liz Young, BNY Mellon's director of market strategy, a CNBC contributor as well. Let's go check the markets as we get started here. October trading gets underway. Dow is still up triple digits, a third of a percent, little more than that S&P, about a half. NASDAQ having a pretty good day today. Josh, one of the principal questions, I think... Heading into this new month and the final quarter is can big tech stage a big rebound because September was fairly dismal. Apple was down more than 10 percent. Apple Alphabet down 10. Microsoft down almost seven. Amazon down almost nine. Facebook down 10.
2: Yeah, I think, though, if, if you pull the lens back a little bit and you, you just look at um, the, the technicals beyond, you know, a couple of weeks, You see that all of those pullbacks really just represent consolidation within the context of a intermediate and long-term uptrend, and that uptrend remains thoroughly undisturbed. So I I really don't think profit-taking and and consolidation in the month of September um, end up being particularly meaningful. I could be wrong, um, but that's that's the way I would think about it. Um, 42% of stocks in the S&P 500 right now are above their 50-day, so more than half the market is not. On a short-term basis, we're in a little bit of a no-man's land. But the consumer stocks, consumer discretionary, um, looks incredible. Uh, Equal weight retail looks great. Anything that has to do with the consumer uh, looks pretty darn good. And the big trends are all in place. Target new highs. Walmart looks like it wants to break out again. This morning I heard 11% of Americans are now already paying for Walmart+. Plus. So they rolled this thing out two weeks ago. They have 11% of the country... Uh, as as paying members, um, 160 million people a week visit either a physical Walmart store or Walmart.com. This this company is challenging Amazon. Bank of America just put it on their conviction buy list this morning. This stock's going to go higher. It's going to go higher. And the home builders, forget about it. This right. is a theme I've been pounding the table on yeah, you all week. Yesterday, 20, 24% increase in uh in pending home sales these numbers are extraordinary that's year over year by the way so these numbers are extraordinary and all these stocks are are at new highs since we're above the housing bubble highs
1: so so john since we're talking about the consumer and we've got these now conflicting headlines regarding stimulus what happens to the stock market to begin this new quarter if you get nothing out of washington
3: If you get nothing, Scott, uh, that is going to be a real negative. I think it's more negative than COVID at this point as far as a risk to the markets. And I'll I'll lay it out real easy for you. Um, Obviously, if it doesn't happen this week, uh, Congress goes back to their various districts and states and campaigns, either for their race or for the presidential race. And... That means that we're not getting anything until after the new president is sworn in, whoever that is, which means that at earliest, we're looking at a February bill, which doesn't get out to people till March, Scott. So uh, that would be not doomsday, but that would certainly be really bad for the PPP as well as enhanced unemployment benefits for those however many there are 18 million americans or whatever that are relying on that and have not had it uh, in most states since july thirty first i know some states have been giving the three hundred and then enhancing it with another hundred but that's not the majority of folks and i think that is necessary scott if we don't get that that's the biggest risk in the short term and i hope ms pelosi and uh... secretary mnuchin as well as mitch mcconnell are really paying attention to that
1: yeah um it's it's a it's a point that's well taken doc it, it's already too late right um but they need the money yeah you need to get the money to people right um, every
3: every it's, day it's that goes by scott another yeah another business dies yeah um and it's probably not one business it's probably a hundred businesses right. every single day yeah and so they need to pass that fast and get that money out there to the folks that need it
1: yeah especially as we're talking about Uh, thousands of layoffs uh, in different industries uh, by the day and in some cases, sadly, uh, by the hour. Okay, Liz Young, to you then risks. Um, No stimulus. The path of the virus um, is not good right now. Uncertainty around the election and potential chaos uh, on and around Election Day. How do we size that up heading into this final stretch of the year?
4: We can always outline risks, and we are really good at listing off all the different things that can go wrong. Here's the thing about this recovery, though. I wouldn't bet against it, and I wouldn't bet against it for the next 9 to 12 months. I realize that fall is going to be tough, and I think... The root of a lot of disappointment is having our expectations set too high so i'd urge people to reset their expectations we're in a high stakes election season we may not know the outcome of the election the first week that we even have election day so i would expect volatility to continue i know we're having a good week but i think october is going to be a tough month so set your expectations that the market probably cannot rally through this fall as we move into the end of the year and as we get into 2021 regardless of who wins in november i think we get spending it's going to look different but i think we get an infrastructure package out of either party and that's a boost to the market so i wouldn't bet against this i agree with josh i wouldn't bet against the consumer i wouldn't bet against housing i think that we still have legs in this recovery and although there are risks i would expect the positives to outweigh those risks going forward
1: weiss what's what's the biggest issue that investors need to have their their eyes on um, is it is it this underperformance in September of big tech, which was a huge driver of the market gains? Uh, is it the path of the virus? Is it the run-up to election day and maybe complacency that exists currently within the marketplace? Is it the relationship between growth and value, and what wins the day in October and beyond that drives stocks? What's most on, on your mind? What should be on the mind of our viewers?
5: Well, the answer is yes to all of the above. Uh, With the exception of the debate growth value, I think you'll make more money in growth than you will in value, and we continue to see that except for rare instances. Look, the, the good thing about this generation of investing, and what I mean by that is this iteration, including people I've been doing for a long time like myself, is that there's very few things that sneak up on you. So you're not keeping money in the market or putting money into the market without the realization that you're not going to know the president until after election day. So look, I agree with John, short term, it's stimulus. We could be down 5% in a heartbeat if they recess and go away till after the election. But overall, I think you want to keep some money available, some cash, because there will be increased volatility. So too many forces are working to keep this market high and get it higher.
1: Well, Weiss, you've been been putting some money back to work in the market. And Including places that maybe you were skeptical of like Peloton, right? We mentioned that yesterday um, in thinking that the you know some of these stocks were just going to continue to go up forever and ever um, Now putting money back to work in some of these areas even though they've run up a lot
5: Yeah, Peloton's been working and the reason I put money back in there They came out they announced a low-priced traditional bike they came out with the new bike that's much more expensive. And then, well, they lowered prices on the original bike. And they came out with, uh, with boot camp, with so many other things. So when the stock traded down 6% that day, I guess it was last week, I bought it back. And I'm very glad I did. It's a phenomenal growth story. It's going to keep going.
1: You know, I spoke with Chamath um yesterday, of course, from Social Capital as part of our Delivering Alpha 10th conference And we hit on everything. And I think it plays into our conversation now from stimulus to SPACs, as some refer to him as the king of SPACs. And of course, where stocks will go in the month ahead. Let's listen and we can discuss all of this on the other side.
0: I think the markets are going higher and the markets are going higher because I think the presidency and the impact of the presidency um, is being divorced from the economic future and prosperity of America. I think it is really important to understand that you have coupled together monetary and fiscal policy. You have a treasury and the Federal Reserve that are acting in lockstep and they are printing trillions of dollars and they will have more of an impact on what the next four years looks like. And that's just the honest to God truth of what's happening. And so, you know, uh, you have rates at zero, you have absolutely no growth. And so you are going to fuel asset price inflation and so I just think irrespective of whether the Democrats or the Republicans are in office, if you're trying to generate returns, you need to be long and you will probably get rewarded. You are 100,000% right. This industry is, uh, is the same as every other industry. There are you know, great hedge funds. There are crappy hedge funds. There are great private equity firms. There are crappy private equity firms. It is crucial that people do diligence. It is crucial that people read the disclosures, that people read the S1s, that people read the S4s, that people go into communities that are talking about these things, understand the diligence that's been done. And you have to fundamentally then rank people. And at the end of the day, what I will tell you, Scott, more than anything else, what I realized in 44 years of which 20 I've been investing in some way, shape or form is those people that put more of their own money on the line tend to make better decisions than those people that are riding other people's money. And at the end of the day, if you look back on the single greatest investor of our generation, the most important thing that you would have done by backing Warren Buffett, you know, the best thing you'd have done by backing a John Malone, the best thing you'd have done by backing Jim Simons is allowing them to compound their own money and going along for the ride with them. And I think that that's a really important point. And so at the most basic level, my advice to everybody is read the disclosures, read the diligence, and then ask one primary question. How much of your own money are you putting on the line? Yours, not other people's, not your funds, none of that garbage. How much of your own? Because that would take the outcome more than anything else, I suspect, when you look back on this. Not a single extra dollar should go to these companies all this money should be focused on those people we should be improving unemployment benefits we should make sure that they don't get forced out of their homes if to the extent that they have loans that are coming due we should figure out how to extend forgiveness programs and then we need to compensate these folks and that's what we need to focus on you need to put the money into the hands of ordinary americans stop putting it into these boards and these ceos they are not well run
1: Well, that's the always provocative Chamath polyhepatia. Josh, let's start at the beginning of what Chamath was saying, because I think that's going to be interesting to, to many people, that the outcome of the presidential race doesn't mean anything, and maybe not what it normally would, because of the current environment that you're in, with a Fed and a Treasury that are fully engaged, that are going to remain engaged, certainly from a Federal
2: Reserve standpoint, and that that supersedes everything else. Well, I certainly agree that monetary policy and fiscal policy are a bigger driver um, for investment prices and values than whoever happens to occupy the White House. The president typically gets a lot more credit or a lot more blame uh, than than what they deserve, depending on whether the market's good or bad. And that's both parties, every, you know, every presidency. Um, so those those headlines about... Well, here's what'll happen under Trump. Here's what'll happen under Biden. I really don't think that that's ever a good basis to make uh, investment decisions, especially if you're investing for the long term. Um, But I do agree. One of the most influential factors um, on investing, uh, on investors right now, is the cost of capital. And the cost of capital is effectively zero. SPACs are a great example of that. You can raise money. You can do direct listings now. You don't even need an investment banker. We had two of them yesterday on the New York Stock Exchange, it's an extraordinary time for capital formation. It's never been cheaper uh, to raise money. I don't see that changing tomorrow or the next day. Um, and so in that kind of environment, valuations for stocks remain elevated. Valuations for real estate goes up, you know, goes up, go on, all the way down the chain. So I think what he's saying is right. I think a lot of people have realized that for a long time now. I don't think it's a, it's a new or a novel insight, but maybe you could say um, post-pandemic, it's like, on steroids or it's been accelerated. Liz,
1: you know, the SPACs, the, the latest and greatest uh, investment opportunity, I guess you, you, you would call it. Uh, how should our viewers uh, view these right now, we, you know, relative to all of these well-known investors who are now involved? Uh, and even as I mentioned to Chamath yesterday, now even Martha Stewart has a SPAC, this SPAC-a-palooza as we've been calling it. And you look, the list is long and <laughs> distinguished with, with these names. It's Ackman and Brad Gerstner. Uh, congratulations to him. He, he had one today at the NASDAQ. Gary Cohn and Cliff Robbins and Jeff Smith and Barry Sternlichten and, and on and on and on and on. And now today you have the very first SPAC ETF that goes out for trading. How should we view these?
4: Look, I think every five to 10 years or so, we get a new vehicle to invest in. We get a new vehicle that's available to individual investors, to all types of investors. This is another trend like that. I like the fact that it's bringing more interest to the market. I like the fact that it has accelerated some of the M&A activity. But I want to go back to a point that Josh made and really harp on something. The policy that we've gotten and some of the activity in the market keeps prices elevated but it doesn't necessarily drive a rally from here okay so we've got support underneath us from the fed we've got support underneath us from the government that keeps valuations maybe where they are and it prevents a huge drawdown and it prevents a blow up in something like the spac space But it doesn't necessarily drive a huge rally that's fundamentally based Mm -hmm. from this point. So we need the economy to follow us. We need consumers to follow us. And we need that strength to come back. The SPACs fall into that same camp.
1: In in other words, the the Fed's already done the, the heavy lift in getting us to where we are now relative to where we were back in those dark days of the spring. And now you need the fundamentals to catch up. To Jay Powell and company. Exactly. That's, what, that's what you're saying, Liz, right? right?
4: Yep, exactly. So, Weiss,
1: you know, you can take on Chamath's first point about the presidency not mattering as long as the Fed and the Treasury are, are in the game and, and, and up to bat and they're not sitting down in the dugout anytime soon. You can also take a stab at this issue of stacks, uh, SPACs and whether our investors are investors, our viewers should be taking a look either through this new ETF or through individual SPACs in general.
5: Well, first, to his first point about the president, you know, I've often said they're like managers of a baseball team. You know the Mets won in 69, but very few can remember that it was Davey Johnson, who was the manager of the team at that point. So let's put that aside, although I do think if you do get the trifecta with the Democrats, you stand a much better chance of stimulus. Because I see the Republicans divorcing themselves from Trump in the second term because they have nothing to gain about pushing him for re-election. let will go somewhere else. In terms of SPACs, you have to be very careful. Keep in mind, a lot of these companies come public. They have not acquired anything yet, so you're buying it on faith. So you have to go with the jockey, as Jamath says. I take a look at a company like Nikola, which should be trading probably close to zero. And the stock trades up yesterday in headlines that GM is going to take a bigger stake. Of course you're taking a bigger stake.
1: You you lost me at the Mets in 1969. you said Davey Johnson. We're, it's like Gil Hodges. Don't respect my guy from the Dodgers, Gil oh, I'm Hodges. I'm sorry, Gil Hodges. Exactly. I just proved stop. my own point through just my ignorance. Just don't even try and make sports references, okay?
5: My goodness. Okay. Okay. Said, 1969, my my Davey Johnson? Um, no, no, no. Okay, 73. Um, all right. 73. It was 73, wasn't it? Oh, just stop. 86. 86. Let's go back to SPAC. Doc. So... so <laughs> let's, let's go back to SPAC. So SPACs, Jamal's right. Some good, some aren't. You got to go with the jockey. I take a look at Nikola. Stock trades up 10 percent, another 10 percent today based upon GM taking a bigger stake. They were given two billion of stock with the company's tr- price at 36. Of course, they're going to be given more stock with the stock trading the stock price half of that. So stay away from the junk. Stay away from the hype. Wait till they buy a company so you can assess the fundamentals rather than these blind pools. Blind pools are really, really dangerous for anybody to invest in.
1: Dr. J. Uh,
3: I I think uh, Weiss's mistaken point about Davy Johnson aside, um, it is about uh, the person running that show and whether or not they put the right team on the field. So if you're looking at Brad Gerstner, or you know Ackman or any of these folks. Yeah, those are SPACs I think that if if I were betting in that space, Scott, I'd be willing to go and bet on those managers because I think they've already proved themselves. Right. Um, some of these SPACs have people I've never heard of running them. Now they might crazy outperform, but I'd rather go with somebody who's actually been in the public markets and trading real stocks rather than, you know, venture type investments which unless they've got a track record doing it, Scott, I'd rather not bet on those folks.
1: So let's I just want to bring up a note that Tom Lee had out today that I thought was interesting uh, as we move to sort of, again, a more general conversation about about where we are right now uh, in the market. Uh, He says over the last three days, equities have struggled against the level of thirty three sixty three. We think that if equities can then manage to close above that, we could have greater sense the worst is indeed behind us. So where are we at? Thirty three seventy six. That's a key level, a key line in the sand, uh, he thinks. Do we do we agree? Are we, Josh, you watch the technicals, too, uh, by the way. And Tom Lee is closely followed by by an awful lot of people and has remained pretty bullish throughout.
2: Yeah, but so I, I guess I just keep coming back to this idea that just because the calendar turns over from one month to the other, it doesn't mean we play musical chairs and trends start reversing themselves. I think, I think what's worked all year shows absolutely no sign of stopping working. So we talked about housing already. Let's put that aside. Think about large cap, not mega cap, large cap tech and recent IPOs. These are two of the best places to be in the market. And when I go chart by chart and I look at Datadog and I look at um, some, of, some of the new, new stocks that have come out this year, I'm in CrowdStrike. I was buying it in the 120s, averaged up in the 130s. It's, if it closes here, it's a new all-time closing high. There's no news on the stock today. It just keeps ripping higher and higher. Um, and, and these are not stock prices that are divorced from fundamentals. The fundamentals are phenomenal for these companies. You cannot do work remote, work from home, whatever you want to call it, without things like cybersecurity and collaborative business software, uh, in the case of Asana, which won public yesterday. Like, the... The the fundamentals are great. Now, are we overpaying? Yes, but here's a little secret. The great companies, the great investments throughout history, they were never cheap. They were never cheap. You had to overpay. You had to pay 30 times earnings for Starbucks in its first 15 years of being a public company. I don't even want to tell you what the multiple was for Amazon. Uh, There wasn't even an earnings multiple. It was a multiple for sales. So uh, I understand that a large segment of the investing population finds this type of investing to be unpalatable because they didn't read about it in a textbook at Wharton. Um, but that's the, these are the areas of the market that are driving uh, us forward. And again, I don't see this idea that we go from September to October and all of a sudden these trends are going to reverse. So when you look at technicals, as I know Tom Lee does, you see these intermediate to long-term uptrends in huge companies, and they, they look pretty solid. Yeah, well, I mean, but look, the, you, you're helping to make this point, too, that the Fed has lifted all
1: boats. It's and, and some that maybe, you know, yeah. are we are, have, have a big hole in them. Right. But they were lifted. So by the by the Fed and to Liz's point, now it's time to put up or shut up. They you have to start seeing some fundamental improvement in some of these businesses to justify the move that they've had.
2: I would just say, though, it is not It has not been the case over the last 10 years that you needed the pie to grow substantially in order for there to be substantial winners. So we've really had like GDP growth averaging 2% in a good year over the last 10 years. But there are corporations that have vastly outgrown that and shareholders have been rewarded. There are entire sectors. So I don't know that all of a sudden we're going to have a huge sea change in the the long-term trend of, of economic growth it gets a little bit better. It gets a little bit worse. I, I don't know anyone that with a straight face is talking about like 4% GDP growth, uh, after this recovery period. And we laugh. Well, you really mentioned numbers, So you, the question you, for I'm running out of time. We don't need that.
1: I'm running out of time in this, this segment. And you mentioned CrowdStrike, which is why I want to bring up Asana, which began trading yesterday through a direct listing in which you had invested in a venture round. Um, just talk to us about, about yeah. this company, but what you do now, now that it's publicly traded?
2: You know, Asana goes into, so uh, t- two of these that I own um, from, from Venture that are, that are now public in the last week. One is uh, Unity Software, one is Asana. Asana goes in the same bucket with like Workday, ServiceNow, um, um, Slack, some of the, the hottest companies that are doing B2B software. They're involved in e- efficiency and collaborative work. So it fits right in with the trend of what's going on right now. Um, Unity is, I think, has the potential to be a massive company. Um, It's a 16-year-old company, but they are the engine that allows all of the video game developers to do 3D. And now they're branching out into animation, working with Disney, Hollywood. But some of the biggest video games um, of the year and of last year were built using Unity Software's tools. So they're an engine. And when you think about what's going to happen this Christmas, we have two platforms, two new console upgrades, the new Xbox and the new PlayStation. Unity is going to be, I think, a very important part of that story as people get excited. So like these are I'm not trading these. I'm restricted on them anyway, but I'm in them. I'm in them at much, much cheaper prices. And they're exciting. And there are so many of these companies coming to market right now. They won't all work. They won't all be great. I, I, I concede that point. Um, But many of them are.
1: Yeah. Uh, What is, as you said, I mean, really the hottest space right now within technology software, as you saw from cloud, uh, uh, excuse me, from Snowflake, uh, which went public a week or so ago um, and just knocked it out of the park. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up, the first day of the fourth quarter, as you know. And we have exclusive results from our CNBC stock survey on the biggest concern for stocks. We give your strategy ahead of the election and more. And as we head out, check out... Mission Produce, the avocado producer, just beginning trading as a public company. Up 6%. We're back after this.
6: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. In New York, the latest coronavirus outbreaks are spreading. In 20 hotspot zip codes, the rate of positive coronavirus tests are up now at six and a half percent. The overall rate for the state remains at a relatively low one and a quarter percent. New York also launching a voluntary contact tracing app to help isolate new outbreaks. Carnival saying it is canceling most U.S. cruises through the end of this year, this despite the CDC only extending its ban on cruises until the end of October. Universal Health Services saying its computer network is still down following a malware attack that began on Sunday. The company says some systems are starting to come back online. And Italy is the latest European nation to report a surge in new COVID-19 infections. More than 2,500 new cases have been confirmed since yesterday. That is the highest figure since late April at the height of the pandemic. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it
1: back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. Well, we polled dozens of CNBC contributors, Wall Street strategists and other frequent CNBC market guests to see where they stood on the quarter ahead for stocks and the potential election impact. Liz Young, I'll go to you first. What is your biggest concern for stocks right now? Our poll uh, asked 61 percent by far and away the largest group. Uh, A new wave of the virus was number one, slow economic recovery. Number two, election uncertainty all the way in the rear at only 12 um, percent. And I, I bring that up to ask you the question as to whether you think people are too complacent about where the virus is going on top of those numbers that Sue just had out of New York.
4: Well, I'll tell you, I was one of those 61%. I took the survey. And I don't think people are too complacent because we continue to get positive news on a vaccine. We're expecting a vaccine first half of 2021. And we continue to get news on a therapeutic that we might have before that. The other thing that I think is really important to note is that even in areas where case numbers tick up, activity levels don't really move. So what that tells me is that people aren't expecting broad sweeping shutdowns. I don't think they would take broad sweeping shutdowns. And that's where some of this positivity comes in. We've known that we might have an uptick in cases in fall. Here it is. This shouldn't be a surprise.
1: I, I should ask the question in, in a better way a, a, as well. Um, if 61 percent say a new wave of the virus is their chief concern, obviously people aren't complacent. I'm wondering, I guess, Steve, whether the market uh, is complacent in, in, in its own right in the way that it's just continued to run up. Yes, we, we know about all the reasons why, um, but the fall's going to be tough. I, I, don't, I don't know that the, the market is fully taking that into consideration. Or perhaps to Liz's point, doesn't matter because we're not shutting down, no matter what.
5: Well, I, I think you see it in terms of what's moving in the markets. Josh mentioned the, uh, the home builders. Uh, which I've had a big position for a while. They're not. They're going to be positively impacted as we see COVID if it reasserts itself in a big way. So I don't think people are complacent because they mention it as as a as a concern. Uh, and like Liz, I don't see a major shutdown. I think we're past that. So I think there's more complacency with people going out and picking up the activity than there is with the market. And that's why the market's going to go after technology because there's growth there again. Part of it is pulled forward because of COVID, but they're growing also on their own. We saw it with ST Micro today. So, yeah, it's a concern now. If we get a major full-blown like we did in the past, uh, then that's an issue. But I think there's a low probability on that right well, now. So it's race against time, which is a vaccine versus an explosive you know, reassertion of the virus.
1: You know, Doc, 45% think the S&P is going to rise, but what I think the most interesting thing may be Specifically because what what all of you, for the most part, have said, what's your strategy ahead of the November election? We asked more than half, 52 percent rotating into cyclicals, only 26 percent, a quarter sticking with tech winners. That flies in the face, Doc, of what I've heard from you all.
3: Yeah, well, you dance with the one that brung you, Scott. I don't see a reason why these fail um, In in particular. If if uh, I wanted to be outside of Tech, Scott, and I looked around at who is doing better um, because of the pandemic, obviously Tech is the number one, the number one player. But if you looked around at a Domino's or even a Papa John's and some of those, could you say that uh, if we see the continuation of a it, maybe not a complete shutdown, but a lockdown, does that benefit players like that? Of course it does. And to Josh's point, without a drive-thru, Shake Shack, can they find a way to compete? No, they can't unless we open up more. The more we open up, you know, thank God, yesterday in New York, New York opened up to 25%, I think, indoor dining, Scott. That's a big move forward. uh, But we need to get, obviously, through this. And I think getting through it from the financial side means me sticking with tech because that's where the most money will be made.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's a a great jump off to welcome a new voice to uh, Halftime. Xi Chao is Managing Director of Global Wealth Management at UBS. It's nice to see you. Thanks for being with us today.
8: Thank you for having me,
1: Scott. I I hope that you've heard part of our conversation here. It sets up well for you in terms of what what is your strategy heading into the quarter?
8: Yes, this is going to be very cautious for us. Uh, this quarter is certainly going to have um, a lot of uncertainties, uh, but we expect further upside in equities. We are positive on equities and uh, we want investors to stay invested. Uh, we want investors to, uh, you know, who have cash to get the cash ready to use the volatility ahead to get into the markets, to buy into long term things. So some of these themes I mean tech obviously is a big theme here. But there are other sectors such as. Consumer discretionary. um, Which Josh mentioned a lot earlier and also. uh, We really like healthcare right now. Healthcare is you know twenty five. It's the the valuation is about it is at twenty five year low at this point. uh, Pays great dividends it's low volatility for the election risk. So. uh, We. There, these themes are some of, the, some of the ideas I think we can certainly stick with. And there's going to be a rotation from the large caps to eventually the small and mid caps. I mean, mid mm. caps certainly have lagged because of all the – just because the economy has done better with, with the large, large tech stocks. But, you know, as the economy starts to rebound and starts to recover from COVID and hopefully with a successful vaccine in the first half of next year – mid caps and small caps are going to come out ahead.
1: It's it's interesting you say that because yesterday, uh, Chris Toomey, who does what you do over at Morgan Stanley, said the exact same thing that he expects a pickup in small and mid cap stocks, too, which we haven't talked an awful lot about. I should also note, uh, and I, I, I want to make sure our viewers understand this, that you're Forbes number one next gen advisor for 2020. So congratulations on 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 having that honor from Forbes. I'm wondering what you make of of our survey, this exclusive survey of of folks who say that 52 percent of them say they're going to be rotating into cyclical stocks in the in the uh, quarter ahead. Is that how you think that we should be playing things right now, too? Are you surprised by that number?
8: No, I'm not surprised by the number uh, growth, had a very good run and cyclicals is something we are slightly overweight on. But we just need to be cautious in the near term because, you know, that's going to depend a lot on the economy fully reopening and that's going to depend on a successful vaccine. So, um, you know, it's it's good to stay with large caps focused on growth. But definitely start rotating into cycles when the opportunity arises.
1: And, and you're still staying with your 3,500 target on the on the S and P 500 between uh, you know for the end of the year.
8: Yes, yes. We currently have a 3,500 S and P target December of this for this year, and then we are looking at about 3,700 for mid of next year.
1: How do you assess election risk?
8: Election risk. I mean, it's certainly dominating the headlines, but we would like to you know, keep our investors focused on their long-term financial plan, on their long-term goals, and look beyond the current elections. I mean, it, no matter who's in the White House, you know, we're, we're sure their goal is gonna be to get this economy back on its feet. So um, it's, it's going to have near-term volatility, but you know, this country will get through it and the economy will reopen, and we do see upside in equities.
1: Xi Chao, UBS Wealth Management Managing Director. It's nice to meet you. Welcome to our show. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. All right. Coming up, John's new unusual activity trades are up next. But first, a check on the S&P sector heat map. Halftime's back in just two minutes with discretionary communication services leading the way on a pretty good day. Up 17 for S&P.
6: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC business news updates wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back. Shares of AMD have risen nearly 10 percent in just the past week. And options traders are betting on more gains into next week. So says John Nigerian, because he has unusual activity in that name, along with another. Doc, tell us.
3: Exactly, Scott. AMD, we've got next week, the 9th of October expiration, calls being bought at the 85 strike. That was with the stock at 83.70 this morning. Um, they were buying those for about $2, Scott. I bought those. I'll probably be in them about a week. Second trade, Exalta. This is coatings and things, Uh, Exalta, uh, A-X-T-A. These are regular October expiration. They're buying the 24 calls for about 40 cents. Uh, The stock was 23 bucks. Like this one, they've been buying it basically five times in the last couple weeks, Scott, since the stock was 21. Quick update. Uh, We had a nice pop yesterday out of overstock.com. And yes, there is buying in there again today. We had a nice pop out of that uh, Netflix trade and the big winner. Oh, my gosh. Bed, Bath & Beyond, 35%. Yeah. End it there. I should just drop no, the I mic it's walk a, away.
1: It's, <laughs> Doc, it's the best day since March 24th for Bed, Bath & Beyond.
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, it's a fabulous day and uh, congratulations to them. And those bets were way out in December. So they think there's more to come, Scott.
1: Yeah. All right. We'll see. Doc, thanks for that. Dr. J. Unusual activity. Up next, betting on growth. Three bullish calls today on Amazon Workday and Snowflake. The investment committee debating those all straight ahead. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Bullish calls today on growth stocks. What else is new, including Amazon getting a new street high price target. What else is new there as well, Rahel?
9: Hi, Scott. Yes. In fact, a couple of names that we mentioned earlier in the show. So let's start with Amazon Pivotal, raising its price target to now a street high, 4500 bucks. Rating, however, stays at a buy. So analysts argue, Scott, that most of the some of the parts valuations for Amazon are incorrect, uh, saying that it should be AWS and everything else because things like its retail business, subscriptions and advertising are too interconnected to be valued separately. Now, we should say the stock is coming off its worst month since December 2018, although it's still up 72% this year. You could say it's up about 1.5% right now. Also, Citi is upgrading Workday to buy from Neutral. Target here goes to $265. So analysts continue to see growth potential from newer cloud financial offerings and also its core enterprise business. You can see that stock is up almost 2%. And Snowflake getting a 250 price target. It's only been public for about two weeks now as Jefferies initiates a hold on the stock So while analysts see revenue growth, Scott, between 117 percent in the near term and 50 percent through 2023, they also note that the stock is trading well ahead of its financials and they expect a more attractive entry port sometime in the near future. So they say kind of just wait a little bit.
1: I'm I'm still trying to get my arms around forty five hundred on Amazon. Uh,
9: Hard to believe. I know.
1: Got another 50 percent to go. Okay, thank you. (laughs) We'll see. Rahel Solomon joining us as always. Uh, Good to see you. Uh, Josh Brown. 4500
2: Amazon Wow. Uh, well A- Amazon <laughs> Amazon is up uh 500% in the last 5 years, 1800% in the last 10 years, and those probably seemed uh equally unlikely uh if, if you would have told people went back in time and told people that's what would happen. Um, Amazon's the most powerful corporation in the history of the United States, way more powerful than uh way more powerful than Standard Oil ever was or ExxonMobil or US Steel or any dominant. And in fact, they're so powerful, this might be the only publicly traded corporation in America that is deliberately holding itself back from growing so that they don't end up in five different antitrust suits in Washington. There's no reason why we don't all buy our cars on Amazon other than they don't wanna get sued. There's no reason why we don't buy life insurance, we don't keep bank accounts there. They, They could sell houses, Amazon literally has to restrain itself. That's how incredibly powerful and, and, and what a great, uh, how great they are at execution. So I can't think of another company that's publicly traded that's like actively pulling the reins back on itself um, and constraining itself so as to stay out of court. And for as long as they're in this position, I really don't know why you'd want to be betting against them.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, it's just, you know, expecting that kind of upside uh, is still
2: spectacular all right good stuff you know they're not even do do you know they're not even doing buybacks yet do you want to like people people like oh, the only reason stocks went up is the buyback okay tough guy explain amazon they're not buying back stock they don't even pay a dividend this there is so much power and flexibility concentrated um at that organization that i don't even think they've pulled half the levers that they could pull um so that's the way i think about it and 4500 doesn't seem that unreasonable in that context. Okay.
1: We have more trades ahead on the half. And as we go to break, take a look at some of the stocks today that are hitting new highs. We talked to Peloton. It's on the list. So is Target and Pinterest. We're right back. It's time now for the futures outlook. Crude oil getting hammered again today. Let's bring in Scott Nations of Nations indexes for more on where it could go from here. It can't get really get out of its own way, Scott.
10: No, it's just getting crushed, and it was down more than 6% at the low earlier today. Scott, hopes for a post-COVID bump in demand are fading now. Nothing uh, having to do with petroleum has any good news. Uh, Industry associations said that demand for jet fuel, which is probably the worst of the petroleum products, uh, is expected to remain low through the end of next year. So on the demand side, there's no good news. And on the supply side, Scott, there's now fears that OPEC Plus is going to find this to be a really opportune time to cheat on quotas, sell more than they should. Demand side's horrible. Supply side's horrible. I want to be a seller of the November crude oil contract at $39. I don't want to sell it where it's at now. That would be selling it in the hole. We wouldn't do that. I'd wait for it to come back a little bit. Target to the downside would be $36 even That is about the September low. Stop, 39.90. We're always going to trade these with a stop. So at those levels, we're risking $900 to make $3,000. But, Scott, if we do get short, the story here is so horrible that once the trade is working, I'd be really aggressive when it comes to lowering my stop and my target.
1: Got you. Scott, appreciate it. Thank you. Scott Nations joining us there. Final trade, just straight ahead. Back tomorrow. Don't miss an exclusive interview with SoFi CEO Anthony Noto right here tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern. Looking forward to that. All right. Let's do final trades. Liz Young, you're up first.
4: Small cap U.S. I think they get hit less hard through election season and they're poised to do well on the other side of this as consumer confidence recovers.
1: Another pick for small caps. Good stuff. All right. Steve Weiss. (laughs)
5: I bought the IWM during the show, by the way. My final pick is Taiwan Semi. We saw numbers from STM.
3: Semis are in a great position right now.
1: All right. Uh, John Nigerian.:
3: By the way, Weiss, Yogi Berra was the coach in um, 73. <laughs> snap, Judge. Nitpicking, John. Nitpicking. Yeah. He'll,
1: he yes, learns, he nitpicking. always learns the hard way. He always learns the hard way. Uh, Josh Brown. <laughs> Stay in Long Amazon. All right. Uh, Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. We're watching the markets, uh, and we will certainly keep our eyes there. Pretty decent day to start the quarter. That does it for us. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.